0: Good morning, church. Book of Mark, chapter 14. Lord, I just pray over this time that as we partake of the bread of the word, Lord, that you would bless the nourishment to our souls and draw us close to you. In Jesus' precious name. Now the Passover and the unleavened bread was two days off, and the chief priests and the scribes, who were seeking how to seize him by stealth and kill him, For they were saying, not during the festival, lest there be a riot of the people. And while he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume, a pure nard. And she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignant, remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over three hundred denarii, and the money given to the poor, and they were scolding her. But Jesus said, Let her alone Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For the poor you will always have with you. And whenever you wish, you you can do them good. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could, and she has anointed my body before the burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that also which this woman has done shall be spoken of in memory of her. And Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And they were glad when they heard this and promised to give him money. And he began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the prophecy, the fulfilling of prophecy, and the prophecy that is to come. Lord, we pray over Pastor Jackie this morning as he teaches, as he brings your word, Lord, that our hearts would be bowed down humbled and open to receive the guidance and the application of that word lord bless the words of his mouth keep him strong protect him with your angels in jesus precious name amen
1: As we uh, come to the word this morning and what the Lord has for us, I was reminded of a church I've heard of before. I don't know, you guys may be familiar with them as well. They are busy. Man, they got a lot of stuff going on. A lot of things were happening. It was pretty incredible. In fact, they're so busy, they're busy to the point of exhaustion. You guys ever been there? Thanksgiving just happened, so I know somebody was busy to the point of exhaustion, right? Everybody had a nap that day. They're feeding the poor, caring for the orphan, watching out for the widow. They didn't tolerate false teachers. In fact, they were quick to recognize false teachers and put them out of the of the fellowship. So they took care that the word was pure. They endured. Don't we need endurance? They endured, man. They went through it and they came out on the other side. So they go through, they endure for the name of Jesus. They didn't quit. They kept on going. And for a lot of us, we'd look at that church and we'd say, man, that's a good church. That's a good church. But Jesus had something to say to that church. He said, you're doing all these things, but I have this against you. You have abandoned your first love. It is possible for us to be busy, especially this time of year, right? It's possible for us to be busy and hectic and really trying to do a lot of good things, right? Nobody gets up, or very few people anyway, get up in the morning and think, I'm going to do something really lousy today. For the most part, we get up and we think, man, I want to try to be a blessing to somebody else. I want to try to be helpful to my fellow human beings. And we, we try to begin our day that way. but. The Bible tells us we can, we can be focused on all those things. We can do all, it's all good stuff. In fact, Jesus, speaking to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, he says, I commend you for all of that. But listen, don't miss this. He says this, but if you don't get back what you lost, I'm going to take your lampstand away. And there won't be a church anymore. I want to remind you, We worked our way through the, to book when I first got here six years ago. So, so we'll get back to it in about five more years. But we went through 1st Corinthians. You may remember, we went through 1st Corinthians and we, we came to 1st Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Three chapters that Paul deals with spiritual gifts and their usefulness within the church. He describes how they should be used and, and how they fit within a body of Christ but in chapter 12 talks a lot about the gifts chapter 14 talks a lot about the gifts sandwiched between those two things is what? what's 1 Corinthians 13? love chapter, right? because what does he say? though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels if I have not love, what good is it? none what about if I have all knowledge? all wisdom is mine he says, if I have not love it profits me nothing what if I have all faith? And I can say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. But he says, if I don't have love, it's worthless. It doesn't matter. So when Jesus is speaking to the church at Ephesus, which is, by the way, we're talking in the first century, right? This is not that long after Jesus. The book of Revelation is written, I believe, best accounts, 92 AD, which puts it, you know, roughly... 60 years from Christ. So, when it, when it comes out, when it's laid out already, 60 years from Jesus, church is blown up, lots of things have happened, but look, how far we got to read in the book of Acts before the church has trouble? Five chapters. That's not very long. Why does the church have ch- trouble in five chapters? Well, let's be honest, we're people. If we made a church of something other than people, we'd probably be okay. <laughs> But the church is people. So people, we got issues, right? So, so just in case you're wondering, I don't know if this church is for me. This is the church of the issues. The broken, the messed up. If you're not broken, messed up, needing some kind of help somewhere, it might not be the right spot. Jesus tells us we're broken people. And we're in need of him. And the key for us that we, as we look in this chapter, Mark chapter 14, the key for us is laid out in this chapter because he says in verse nine of this chapter, right? The things that this woman has done, they're going to say forever, for all time, as long as the gospel shared. Her story is going to be told. Why? Why is it important? Because it is a, an act of extravagant worship, an expression of love. From one of Jesus' own to Him, and we have to remember. You, you may remember Jesus when He was going around teaching. Somebody came and uh, and uh, asked Him, "What was the greatest commandment?" You remember what's what's the greatest commandment? In Luke chapter ten, verse twenty-seven. This is what He has to say. So He answered and said to Him, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind." And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, the Bible goes on to tell us that all the law and the prophets. Okay, so that's another way of saying all of the Old Testament is fulfilled in this. What? That you love. Because love will do no harm to his neighbor. I don't have to tell you, thou shalt not steal. If you love your neighbor, you don't steal from him. I don't have to tell you, thou shalt not commit adultery. If you love your neighbor, you won't steal his wife. Right? Right? If you love, then that fulfills the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets all summed up in this concept. To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I love it there in Luke chapter 10 because he lays out for us, the, the, the Bible tells in Deuteronomy we see the same thing in the Shema. Right? Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. And you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He lays out the same thing in Deuteronomy. I love it here because it's it's the total being. We want to recognize God wants us to love him with our total being, okay? All of us. Heart. Seed of passion, right? He wants us to love with our heart, with our soul, that's our life. How are we spending our life? Our love, love him with our heart, soul, mind. That's our intellect, right? We don't have to check our intellect at the door. We should continue to use it. It's necessary. You're going to need it. You ever run into those people who haven't used intellect for a while? We need to exercise our intellect in loving Christ. And we love him with all of our strength. Everything that is within us. And whenever I think about this concept, I always think about Peter. You guys remember Peter, right? Peter' famous for doing what? Put in his foot in his mouth. Still, putting his foot in his mouth, he did do that. What else did he do? He denied Jesus, right? He denied Jesus. So when Jesus is resurrected and he comes back, he looks specifically for Peter, and Peter, instead of being where he was supposed to be, took a bunch of other guys and went fishing. Do we remember? And when, so Jesus shows up, he calls out to him the first time a fisherman never told the truth. He says, "Have you caught any fish?" And they shout back from the boat, no. You're never going to hear Jason say that, just so you know. (laughs) So he calls out no. Jesus says, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. Sure. Do you know where the net goes when you throw a net out of a boat? The net goes all over the place. You throw a net out. On one side, if you've ever been in those boats are pretty cool And when you, if you come with us to Israel you get a chance to ride in one across the, 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 the Sea of Galilee but you're looking at maybe 10 feet wide and uh, so you cast over here the net sinks down under the boat you cast over here the net sinks down where? under the boat in my mind it doesn't make any sense what's the difference if I put it on the right side or the left side? I'll tell you what the difference is one is being obedient to Christ and the other is not And when we are obedient to Christ, what happens? They catch fish. They catch fish. So they catch fish, and Peter goes, he comes up immediately, they're hauling the fish in, right when Peter goes, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. I always thought this was funny too, he puts on his coat and jumps in the water. (laughs) I'd have done it the other way, but I'm, you know. Peter swims to the shore, and Jesus has a conversation. All the disciples come up, he makes them... He makes them all breakfast. You remember what Jesus asked him three times? What's he ask him? Do you love me? He says, Peter, do you agapeo me? You love me with a self-sacrificing love. Now Peter just denied him, right? So he knows he falls short on the love spectrum. So he responds, you know I phileo. I love you like a friend. And Jesus doesn't say, well Peter, you didn't measure up, so you're out. That's not what he said. What did he say? Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Feed my sheep. He lays out for him three times. Now, the first two times, Jesus says to him, Peter, do you agapeo me? Do you love me with a self-sacrificing love? Peter responds both times, Lord, you know I phileo. I love you like a friend. I love you like a friend. The third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me like a friend? And the Bible says Peter's heart was broken because he said the third time Jesus came down. There was this high level of love, right? But Jesus dropped down from that and said, do you love me like a friend? And so Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you like a friend. And again, he tells him, each time he gives Peter responsibility for the church. Go teach. Go feed. Go take care of the sheep and the lambs. Make sure everybody's going to be okay, Peter. And then Jesus gives Peter this word of encouragement. Peter, I know you struggled and you didn't quite measure up, but you denied me back there. But the day is coming when men are going to lift you up and take you where you don't want to go. And the Gospel of John tells us Jesus spoke this about Peter's death. See, one time, Jesus is being beaten, and Peter is there warming himself by the fire, and a servant girl comes up to him and says, aren't you a disciple of him too? And Peter's going to say, over and over again, no, I don't know him, I don't know him, he's afraid. But there will come a day, when men will stand before Peter and tell him to take a pinch of incense, and throw it on the fire, and say, Kaiser... Kirias Caesar is Lord and Peter's like no there is one Lord and Caesar's not him so they lift him up and put him on a cross but on that day his love didn't falter you with me he didn't falter then and Jesus knew he was coming to that point what, what's my point the Lord tells to love us with all our strength when we come to Jesus Christ, you know, you've heard the term baby Christian. Where do we, on, on a scale, that's a, that's a maybe not so complicated spot. But as we walk with the Lord, as we grow in the Lord, as the Holy Spirit empowers us to be the men and women God's asking us to be, what happens? Our love increases. Our ability to make a better stand. Our opportunities to share the truth of who Jesus Christ continually is happening. So when we look at this story... And we look at, at, at Matthew, Mark, and John all tell the same story. Luke chapter 7 is a different story in Simon the Pharisee's house. But these three, uh, they, they're all talking about the same one. In Simon the leper's house, and, and, and John names the woman. Says it's Mary. What do we remember about Mary? What was special about Mary? What was she always doing when Jesus was around? Sitting right at his feet. Rided it three years at the feet of Jesus, just at his feet, learning, growing. And what do we see from her? This incredible expression of love. Well, let's look at what the scripture has for us. Now, as we look at this section, uh, uh, Mark 14, 1 through 11, you have a love sandwich. You have love in the middle, 3 through 9, verses 3 through 9 is love. Verses 1 and 2 is hate. Verses 10 and 11 is hate. Verses 1 and 2 say are speaking about two days from the Passover. Verses 3 through 9 are six days before the Passover. Why does it go out of chronological order? Because Mark's making a point. If you really want to make a point about this expression of love, the best way to do it is to put it on a backdrop that really makes it stick out. So what's the backdrop? The betrayal of Christ. The, the choice of Judas to betray Christ, that's the the chief priest, the one to arrest him and take him. So they put this hate all over the backdrop and then they stick this act of love right on the front so that it sticks out. That's Mark's purpose. That's why he's laying it out for us in this way. So let's take a look at it. Mark 14 verse 1 says, And after two days it was the Passover, the feast of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes saw how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. Uh, but they said, "Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people." So we see this expression of hate. Do they care whether or not putting him to death is a violation, a moral violation, in any way? Now, what are they worried about? Oh, there might be a riot. Well, whether right or wrong doesn't doesn't matter. Now, let me ask you something about these Pharisees. Do you think they were busy doing good things? I'm I'm going to tell you. In order to be a Pharisee, they had to give alms weekly to the poor. They had to pray a number of times, each and every day. They had to memorize huge portions of the Word of God. They had to do all this stuff that looked very religious. But what did they have at the center of it all? They didn't have love, did they? They don't have love. And so what does the Bible tell us about those great acts, those incredible deeds Jesus would say, hey, that's good. But they're going to know your mind because you love each other. They're going to know your mind because of the love you share with one another. That's how they're going to recognize you. That's how they're going to know. Look what they said. They want to seek him by trickery. That means they want to catch him with cunning. They want to sneak in a stealthy kidnapping of of Jesus to be able to 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 take him and not worry again about the morality of the issue. They're just wanting to be able to get him, get it done. That's why they're gonna they're gonna arrest him at night. They're gonna have a speedy trial. They're gonna have him on the mountain before most guys are getting up. He's gonna be up on Golgotha. Then it's too late. Then it's done. That's their goal. That's their plan. But look at verse three. He says, now, and being in Bethany, now this is a phrase in the Greek, we can see that he's pulled out a different time frame. That's why I say, John chapter 12 tells us it was six days before. So he's saying two days before is when the chief priests decide we're going to get him. We're going to sneak in and get him. And at the end, we're going to bring into that same time frame, right? We're going to talk about Judas making the decision to, to... betray Christ. In the middle, we back up chronologically. It's six days earlier. Mark is remembering this event taking place. It says, and being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask, a very costly oil of spikenard, and she broke the flask and poured it on his head. So we've left hate. Now we look at love. We look at this this act of love. So where does it take place? Simon the leper's house. We have no idea who Simon the leper is. Nobody knows who Simon the leper is. He appears here and in Matthew, spoken of at at this house in Bethany. Most Probably the, the best explanation of Simon the leper's house is relatively simple. You see, when Simon got leprosy, he had to move out. He had to be away from his family. So he would have turned over the estate... That he had to his kids. Oh, you know them. Don't you know them? Mary, Martha, and what was the fella that died? Came back to Lazarus. That's right. Mary, Martha, Lazarus. In fact, they called the home Martha's house. Martha's house. It had been given over to him. It's all speculation. Can't prove it in the word, but it's logical. That when Jesus came, part of his healing ministry was to heal lepers. you remember? There's a particular leper that runs up to him, right? That breaks all the rules that comes to him and says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Do you remember? Jesus touches him, says, I am willing. Be cleansed. I can tell you this. They wouldn't be at Simon the leper's house if he still had leprosy. Simon the leper would be outside. So Simon the leper has to be cleansed now. So when I look at Mark... Matthew and John and we, we get the complete story as we bring them together we see Mary, uh, Martha, Lazarus all together at this house not a different house I think it's their dad Simon the leper they're at his place healed by Jesus no doubt and the dinner is given to honor him if we look at John chapter 12 just again to get a full picture of what's going on John chapter 12 verse 2 says there. They made him, Jesus, a supper. Martha, it says, served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat by the table. So they made this, they they have a, wouldn't you imagine, I just want you to think about it, okay? Can't prove it, but just think about it. If you were Simon, your three kids have this great relationship with Jesus. You hear about them. Through Jesus' three years of ministry, you're touched, healed by him, you're no longer the leper. Then wouldn't you want to throw a dinner in honor of Jesus? That's what they do. They throw a dinner. And Jesus would often, every night when he came after the after the um, Palm Sunday, every night he'd go back to Bethany. It's not very far away. And then he'd go back to the temple. And go back to Bethany, and go back to the temple. He had to have a place to crash. That was his place where he would crash. And the scripture tells us they gave this dinner. What happened at the dinner? Martha served. What do we remember about Martha? She loved Jesus. How did she love him? By serving. Now I know that Martha loves Jesus by serving in a particular way. You remember the first time in scripture we meet Martha? Let's look at it. It says in Luke chapter 10. You can flip over there if you want. Luke chapter 10 verse 38. We're going back now to the first time Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are around Jesus. It says, Now it happened, as they went, that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the feet of Jesus and heard his word. But Martha, what's this next word? Was distracted, Right? Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, "Lord, don't you care? My sister has left me to serve alone. What's the issue? The issue is that Martha is not. She's doing the work, right? She's doing the work. She's serving, but she's not serving out of love. What's she serving out of? Obligation, right? All oh, this. I, we invited him here, and I, so I got to make him something nice. I wish my sister would come help me." Uh, How many of you guys said that at Thanksgiving? (laughs) Hey, come on, I know. I, I live in the real world too. So, that's what Martha's doing. So she comes to Jesus. I just want you to hear what Jesus says to her. Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. You only need one thing. And the servant, that's not it. Only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen that good part. Mary chose the right way. And it won't be taken away from her. What did she choose to do? Sit at the feet of Jesus and hear His words. I think Martha learned from that. Now, it's not that Martha was supposed to change her character and suddenly not be a servant. You guys have met those people, right? People who are servants. And and when we love... A lot of times we express love in a lot of different ways. You spend five minutes with my wife, she's going to tell you a hundred times how good you are. How you look nice, oh that's a pretty sweater. Uh, you know, she is the the embodiment of Pollyanna. There's like four people who know who Pollyanna is anymore. She's, even, I, she's not, I don't see her yet. Chris, who came with me, brought the keys. They might all be trapped at the house, so. <clears throat> Unless they hitchhiked, she might not make it. So, but, but, so I, get a, I can get away with it. She's here? She just stick her head out? Oh, okay. Sorry, hon. <laughs> anyway, she, she, that's how she is. How does she express love? By building people up. She's an edifier, right? Other people are servants. How do they love people? They love people by serving, right? They serve just out of love. You don't have to ask them. They just want to because they want to express their love. And that's how Martha, Jesus is not saying, Martha, you need to become a Mary. Jesus is saying, Martha, you need to be able to do what you do, be who you are in Christ. But you got to be that person in love. And love can't be bitter at somebody else. You got to be who you are in Christ, not who somebody else is. I can't be somebody else. You're stuck with how I am. The people six years ago when I came to Calvary Chapel Buell, the people who kept hoping that I was going to change and become what they wanted me to be, they're all gone. (laughs) Because this is it. If you're thinking, you know, next week, maybe he'll wear a tie. It's possible. I do that sometimes, right? But only when I think I'm going to totally catch you off guard. Otherwise, so, When we look at it, we're supposed to be who we are in Christ. And that's what I think, because here in Mark 14, it says, hey, Mary's servant. In John chapter 12, Mary's servant. She's being who she is in Christ. But now she's not complaining. She's not bitter. She's not distracted. Why? Because it's an act of love. It's an act of love to her Savior. But even though her act is an act of love, it's not quite like Mary's. It's not quite on that Level. Well, what about Lazarus? What's the Bible tell us about Lazarus? It says, Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table. Do you know how many people Lazarus drew to at least be curious about a relationship with Jesus Christ just because he was alive? Right? Dude, if you talked to Lazarus, he was dead. Now he's alive. Jesus brought him, he was dead four days, man. I just had I went over and sniffed him just to make sure <laughs> that he didn't smell like a dead person no more. He seems pretty normal. The Bible says specifically that Lazarus sat at the table. I think this is the point. Sometimes people, it's just their silent life lived out before men that becomes a witness. And an expression of their love for Jesus Christ. The Bible doesn't tell us that Lazarus is talking at all. He's just being an example by being alive. He's at the table. People, in fact, you read the Gospel of John over and over again. It's going to say, not only did the chief priests want to kill Jesus, who else did they want to kill? Lazarus, because he's proof, right? Yeah, we've got to get rid of that proof. So Lazarus is that... That quiet witness. Now, Lazarus' expression is expressing love to Christ as well. But it's not like Mary's love. Remember I told you, when we come into a relationship with Christ, not, not all love is the same. It's not all the same, right? Remember when we talked about Peter? Jesus was calling Peter to a love here, but Peter's love was here, right? Remember? Agape phileo. So Jesus came down. Doesn't mean... Peter had a relationship with Christ, had a responsibility to Christ. And he eventually gets to the place where he's able to sacrifice his life for him. So we want to see that that, that growth is possible, okay? It's possible. We see these expressions of love laid out for us, but they're not quite like Mary. Then we see this perfume, right? The, the, the alabaster flask, the perfume. What do we know about it? It's costly, Right? Costs a lot of money. Mark 14:3 uh, says, "Being in Bethany, the house of Simon the leper, he sat at the table, and a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Oil of spikenard was, was created by crushing a plant, and when they crushed the spikenard plant, they would, they would draw from it this oil that they used to make perfume. And it was a potent perfume. Potent. When you put oil of spike on, you are guaranteed the smell. That that fragrance would be with you for two weeks. That's a long time, right? That's a long time. How much of that are you going to need to use? Drop here, drop there. That could last you a long time. She's. That's why it was so costly. Three hundred denarii. A denarii. One denarii was a day's wage. So almost a year's wage. So just plug in what you make a year. And figure that's what this flask, this alabaster flask was worth. John 12.3 says that Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. So just picture it. they having this meal. The disciples, kind of in their own little world. None of them guys are quite on... on On point yet, they're going to get there. takes guys a little longer sometimes, right? Ladies? Yeah, it takes them a little longer. So they're doing their thing. Here comes Mary. She comes in. There's Jesus reclining. She breaks open the alabaster flask. Now, the way those things were put together, you could just open it. But I don't think she wants to save it. I think she wants to use it all. And she breaks it open, and she pours it on his head. Now, this is a pound of oil. This is a lot of oil. I, just, I want you to picture, we're not talking about, you know, if you come up for prayer and I put a couple drops on you, that's not the same thing. This is a pound of oil of spikenard. So it's running down, running off his beard, running down on him. So I'm sure she's got it all over her hands. The next thing she does when she pours this over him, she's just overwhelmed by her, her love and her desire to worship. So what's natural? What would naturally happen? You break that over to Jesus, she kneels. When she kneels, what she see? feet so what she do with all the oil that's on her hands and that's running down she just begins to wash his feet with this perfume and as she washes his feet she in an act of love realizes i want to i want to be able to because it's a little dirty his feet aren't clean so she went and so she uses her hair like a rag to wipe the dirt off his feet that is an extravagant expression of love that was an incredible... So I just want you to picture it. The next thing that happens, remember I told you, oil of spikenard lasts for two weeks. So it's super fragrant, right? So what do you think all the disciples are doing right now? Every time my wife sprays that crazy perfume around me, I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> i got to get out the room, my eyes are burning. That, that, am I the only one that happens to Wow, I used to think I had so much in common. Uh, Maybe I don't. So all the disciples do the same thing, right? They're like, what are you doing? Basically, they're going to start shouting at her and telling her she's ruined the meal. To the point that Mary's face actually is downcast. And she thinks, oh, I did something dumb. Just put yourself in the situation. Don't just hear the story for the 10,000th time. Put yourself in it. Man, she's she's done this thing. She's broke it open. Look what it says in John 12. But one of the disciples, John 12, verse 4. One of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And this he said not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take the things that were put into it. So Judas is one of the ones that hollers at her, right? And it's because he loves money. What's the Bible tell us about the love of money? Yeah, it's the root of all kinds of evil, right? The love of money. Not money. Money is an inanimate object. It doesn't do anything. We do stuff with it. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's what the Bible lays out for. So Judas loves money, and all he can think about is, that's so wasteful. so wasteful so he's angered by that concept you ever have people talk to you about how you waste money you ever have them talk to you I have a habit this may may shock some of you I drink monster energy drinks it's a confessional I know now I'm going to get 47 emails about how they have the mark of the beast on them or something I get, don't, you're not the only ones who send them to me. I get lots of them. But one time I had a guy tell me, you know, if you didn't buy Monster Energy drinks, at the end of the year, you would have enough money to buy yourself a brand new, humongous diesel truck. I could be like everybody else. So I asked him, do you drink Monster Energy drinks? And they say, no. So I said, where's your truck? <laughs> All right. That's not exactly the point. But the point is, for, for Judas, his issue, right, was a love of money. I just want you to think about what Jesus had to say about that. In Matthew <clears throat> Chapter 6, verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. And then Jesus clarifies it. You cannot love God and mammon, or money. You cannot love God and money. What was Judas' problem? He loved money. But he's not the only one who got mad. Well, look what it says in Mark, Mark 14. Look at verse 4 and 5. But there were some who were indignant among themselves. That's not... Sometimes we read the Bible and they use such pretty words. We lose sight of what ugliness they, they speak of. So the, the Greek word used for the word indignant is to gnash your teeth, flare your nostrils, and look at somebody like you're going to kill them. So when it says they were indignant, we go, oh, they were Indignant. Righteous indignation. That's not what these guys had. These guys were mad. They're angry at what she just did. You just ruined our dinner. What are you doing? This is so dumb. You're wasting money, pouring out all this stuff uh, on Jesus' head. Oil's going everywhere. It's all over the ground. We all smell. That's what's happening. Then they said, why was this fragrant oil, what's the word? Wasted. Wow. Are you kidding me? Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. Listen, the world despises the widow's might and the outpouring of the alabaster flask. Both extremes. You didn't have enough to give. You don't have enough. But God values both, right? Extravagant expression of love to him. So Mary's shrinking away, thinking, I've done something wrong, I messed up. Oh no, Jesus is going to be mad. Then Jesus responds. We have how the world sees it, Judas He loved money. He didn't like it. The disciples, they're all angry. They didn't like it. How did Jesus see it? How did Jesus view what had happened? It says in verse 6 of Mark 14, But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Again, this is strong language. This is not just spoken softly. Jesus is letting them have it. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done, I love this in the ESV. This is what the ESV says. She has done a beautiful thing to me. I love it. It's the same word beautiful, good, moral goodness, right. It's all the same word, but I just like how that sounds, right? She's done a beautiful thing. What she has done is a beautiful thing. Jesus is saying, man, this is awesome. What she has done is awesome, it's incredible. See, Jesus doesn't look at the human wisdom of our actions. He looks at the love expressed through our actions. Jesus is not up there thinking, you know, you just wasted a bunch of money. He should have sold all that and, and been smarter with it. He didn't say that to her. It's probably her life savings. But the money is irrelevant. What is relevant is the extravagant love she expresses to her Savior. And Jesus receives it. He's like, oh man, this is a beautiful thing. Beautiful. Yeah. It's okay. It's a beautiful thing. Look what he says in verse 7. In Mark 14, 7. For you have the poor with you always. Okay. There's no cure for poverty. That might seem shocking. How long has the poor been with us? There's no cure for poverty. I know a lot of times in in our human wisdom, we think we've got the solution. We can solve poverty. We can solve world hunger. And I'm not saying we shouldn't try. And I'm definitely not saying that we shouldn't help the poor. You're going to see that in a moment. But Jesus said, you always are going to have them. They're always going to be here. But Jesus is only there six days before Passover. He's only got about seven days on earth left when Mary does this. He said, the poor you're going to have forever. You can always do something good for the poor. But you don't have me forever. Just a few short days. That's all there is left. You can do good to them anytime. But me you don't always have. Now, he's almost directly quoting Deuteronomy. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy a lot. I don't know if you guys know that. Jesus quotes from the Old Testament all the time. Deuteronomy, uh, uh, often quoting from Deuteronomy. Every time he answered the devil when he was in the, t- the, the desert temptation, he quotes from Deuteronomy. Here's another quote from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 15.11. Listen to what it says. Because I think this is something that we have to recognize as a church. This is a responsibility we have. He says, Deuteronomy 15.11, For the poor will never cease from the land... Therefore I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor, to your needy, in your land. What did God call them to do? A lot of times, i got to be careful too, guys. I get just as cynical as the next guy. Right? But here's what God says in Deuteronomy. I want you to open your hand to the poor. So they were, they constantly gave alms to the poor. He said, I want you to open your hand. How did he say? Miserly, just a little bit. What's he say? Open your hand wide. And he's three different things he talks about there. He says, your brother. Okay? So we can, we can if we want to make application, Deuteronomy 15 to us, right? He's talking to Israel. But Deuteronomy 15, the, the Bible says uh, that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can make application in Deuteronomy 15. How do we do it? Well, we want to take care of our brethren, right? Our brothers and sisters within the body, we want to open up our hand wide to them. And then he says, to your poor in all your land. You know, it was not just Jewish people that lived in Israel, right? Open your hand wide to all your poor in all your land so this is the heart of God Okay, this is the heart of God you take that and do with it what you want but this is a heart of God that we would be uh, caring people caring for the poor doing what we can when we can, that that would be our heart but, but if we take care of the poor remember the church at Ephesus they were taking care of the poor but what were they missing they're taking care of the poor with their left hand but the right hand is bitter Saying, what's wrong with the poor? Why don't they do something? Why don't they change? Look, if that's attitude, don't help them. <laughs> it's okay. God's got it. But to have the right kind of heart that I want to have, i got to be able to help the poor with one hand, and the other hand just say this is an expression of love to God. Because if I wait just to find the poor who are worthy, I'm probably going to have a hard time finding them. So this is the attitude of expression. He's saying, "Look, this is this is it. This is how it ought to be." But but what do we see? We see Jesus telling him, "Look, she's done a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing because she's loving, she's expressing her love to me." Look what he says in uh, verse 8. Mark 14:8. "She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial." Listen to what Jesus is saying. In seven days, somebody's going to come. They're going to take me off a cross. They're going to take and prepare my body for burial. And when they do, what are they going to do to his body? They're going to wash his body and they're going to cover it with aloes and spices and perfumes. And Jesus is saying, if that's not a waste, neither is this. That's not a waste. She has done this, how many times? The Bible tells us in Matthew, I want to say roughly around chapter 16, that Jesus began uh, consistently teaching His disciples that He was going to be betrayed, that He was going to die, that He was going to rise again. Who was at His feet when He was saying that? Over and over and over again. Not all the time, but over and over again. Who's at His feet? Mary. What's she hearing? He's going to die. So she decides this day leading in the Passover... To break an alabaster flask and dump it out on his head. To wipe his feet with her hair. She gets yelled at and screamed at by all the other guys who are there. They're screaming at her. She's backing up. Jesus stands up. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop. You're not going to do that. Man, this is a beautiful thing that she's done. This expression of love is a beautiful expression of love. She's anointed me for my burial. Listen love always expresses faith in the things that Jesus teaches in Ephesians 5 2 it says this walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice unto God for a sweet smelling aroma then Consider 2 Corinthians 2.15. 2 Corinthians 2.15 flips it on us. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Now just come back with me. Okay, so he says Jesus gives himself a sacrifice, a sweet smelling aroma to God. And then Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians, we are a sweet smelling aroma to God. We smell sweet to God. Jesus smells sweet to God in His sacrifice. Now what happened here? Mary breaks the, the spikenard. It runs all over Jesus. And then she did what? She washed His feet with what? Her hair. Did oil get in her hair? How long does the oil last? Two weeks. In roughly seven days, Jesus is going to be on a cross. He's going to look horrific. Being scourged with a cat of nine tails. We'll talk about all that stuff when we get to it. Literally, he's filleted alive. There's not very much skin left. And by the way, he would have been filleted with the cat of nine tails naked and hung on the cross naked. They didn't wear a loincloth. You had no right. You're a criminal. And they put him up on that cross. And they put the cross in the ground. And what's the Bible says, who was at the foot of the cross? Mary, the mother of Jesus, right? Jesus is going to tell John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. He's going to tell John, take care of my mom. Then you have Mary and Martha. Now, I'm sure if you're standing there, those, those, those women uh, are standing there at the, the foot of the cross. The women are the last ones at the cross. The guy's all bailed, except for John. guy's all bailed. The women are the last one of the cross. I just want you to picture for a moment the horror of what they're looking at. Seven days removed from this. And the feast, and the and the times, the good times, and all the things they remember now. Seven days, things are crazy. I wake up this morning, and Jesus is already on the cross. And they, they're down there at the foot of the cross. Now, they're there. Blood is everywhere. It's so gross. You, you can't even hardly look without... Being upset in your stomach. But stop right there and close your eyes. Stop and close your eyes. And then breathe in through your nose. What do you smell? The oil of spikenard. For what? A sweet smelling aroma. And all those people who are around Mary who washed his feet with her hair. They close their eyes. Not only can they smell the spikenard coming down, mixed together with the smell of of blood and all that horror, but they can also smell their sister next to them. Because what's the Bible say? Jesus, His sacrifice was a sweet-smelling aroma to God, and we, when we love Christ with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we are like Mary, a sweet-smelling aroma to God. that expression of extravagant love it mattered and that expression was there with him all the way till they took him off the cross they would have still smelled it when they when they were preparing him and washing his body and bringing they still would have smelled it and the day he rose they still would have smelled it two weeks She poured that out over him as an incredible expression of love to him. So Jesus says in verse 9, Assuredly, I say to you, whenever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as memorial to her. And we're still talking about it 2,000 years later. That's crazy. What an incredible expression of love. But remember when we started, when we first looked at this, I told you this is, a, this is a love, love sandwiched in hate. In the beginning, what are we beginning with? The chief priests want Jesus. They want to get him. They want to sneakily sneak in, stealthily grab him, do a quick trial and get him on a cross. That's their goal. We think back. Man, Mark says, this was such an incredible expression of love and the disciples all lost it and we all got angry at her and yelled at her. But then he jumps time again, and what's he say? Look at verse ten. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him. You see love on the backdrop of hate? Judas Iscariot spent three years with Jesus, went everywhere he went, sat at the left hand of Jesus at the Last Supper. That's a place of honor. Jesus reached out to in John chapter 13 after the last supper It said the disciples are arguing about who's the best Jesus gets up puts on a towel you remember the story he puts on a towel gets a basin of water and one by one goes around and washes all the feet of the disciples did he wash Judas's feet so did Jesus express love to Judas did he give Judas every opportunity just like the rest of the disciples did Judas do all the work did he go out with the disciples when Jesus sent him out and they cast out demons and they healed people did Judas probably, during all that time, did he ever touch somebody and, and the power of God flew through him and he healed them? He did all that stuff. But he never had love. The Bible says his heart never belonged to Jesus. And finally he gets bitter because he doesn't like the direction of where things are going. So he does this. He goes to the chief priest to betray him. And when they heard it the chief priests are glad and they promised to give him money. What's that little phrase mean? Why did Judas go? Why did he betray Christ for money? That's why I say his issue is the love of money. He's probably bent out of shape. You know he said the widow's mite was this incredible gift and that's nothing. And then he he accepts this this extravagant gift and Mary just wasted 300 and and, and All that 300 denarii just poured out on the ground? (coughs) Picture it. So let's say you make $40,000 a year. You ever take 40 grand and just throw it down in the trash? Walk away from it? Because that's how Judas is viewing this. Man. He's so wrapped up in his money that he was willing to betray him. So what's it say? So they sought how he might conveniently betray them. From this moment on, Judas wants to put Jesus down. How's he going to do it? He's going to do it with a kiss. A, A false expression of love. When we began today, we talked about the church at Ephesus, right? We see the Pharisees busy doing good things, but they don't have love. We see even Judas being able to do good things with the disciples, but he never had love. That's a heart check if there ever was one. God is looking. He's desiring from us. We are worried about what I should give Him. What should I give God? Does He want more of my money? No. Does He want more of my time? No. Does He want... What's he want more of? He wants more of your love. All the other stuff happens all by itself. He just wants your love. He can't make you love him. You gotta decide to do that. I gotta decide to do that. I wake up in the morning every day and I have to make a choice to love my wife. Don't get all offended, that's a real world. If you don't know that yet, you ain't been married very long. I get up in the morning and I make a choice. I'm going to love my wife. And I know my wife makes a choice. I'm going to love my husband. I even, I know some of you will say this is impossible. I even have to say I'm going to love my kids. Sometimes I want to kill my kids, man. <laughs> I want to love my kids. I'm making a choice. I want to express. I got to do that same thing with God i got to do that same thing with God. Look, God's calling all men everywhere to the same thing. You, me, all of us. He's calling us to a life of repentance and belief. A life of repentance and belief. Nobody comes to Jesus without first repenting of their sins, reaching out for him, and having him reach out for us. He lifts us up. He saves us. He does all the work, all the heavy lifting is his. But that's our life. The next day, I'm not saying you've got to ask Jesus in your heart every day. I'm saying every day you've got to repent. Every day you've got to believe. Are you with me? Every day you've got to repent. Every day you've got to believe. That's the life. That's the life of a believer. Every day we make the choice. I'm going to love God. I want to express that love. I want to be able to, to have an extravagant expression of love just like this for Mary. Not, nobody else ever needs to see it. Just me and God. I want to have that expression because that's what He calls me to. Hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We can do all the great stuff, and I think we should continue to try to do all the great stuff. But if we don't have love, it's worthless. So save your time. Save your money. Learn to love Him. And everything else will fall into place. Amen? Amen. Won't you stand with me? Let's pray.